You're listening to Right at the Fork. This is Chris Angeles, and uh, it is we're coming upon fall, wonderful season. We have the privilege of um, not only having Heather and Court in here with us, but Stacy Givens, who owns the Side Yard Farm. You may know her through her appearance on Chopped recently, where she won, uh, and she'll talk about that. But also, she does something really cool. She's a chef, but decided that she really liked the farming uh, business. Uh, learned about farming on top of what is now Noble Rot on that building. There's a, uh, a beautiful garden there. Um, and uh, decided to open the side yard farm. And uh, has had that for a few years. Has grown that into three separate parcels where she's growing uh, produce that she delivers to 15 Restaurants in Portland um, is happy with that. You're not going to find her at a farmer's market, but you will find her here uh, on the podcast. And uh, she was really fun to get to listen to, get to know. And uh, we might even have her on again sometime because she was, uh, there are some guests that are very fun to listen to and just keep going. No, they have more to say. And, uh, and what she had to say and what we learned about how to go about starting an urban farm and what she's learned since is, um, I hope you'll enjoy. So here's Stacy Givens from the Side Yard Farm. Thank you for coming. Appreciate Thanks for having me. I've heard a lot about you over, and we've never run into each other, which I think is really odd. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's a, Portland's a small town, even though it's growing. So I know, fast. and you've, yeah. you've been doing what you've been doing for a while. Yep. And uh, I saw you on Chopped, which was really cool. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did that feel to do that? Uh, you know, honestly, I, I went on it for my dad. Um, it was his favorite show, and he passed about four years ago. So when they asked me to be on it, I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. So that was uh, my biggest push to do it. And, I mean, it is what it is, man. It's intense for sure. Um, but I love competition. I've always been like that. So. so was it kind of a whirlwind? Did you, like, a week later, did you wake up and say, did that really happen? Oh, yeah. I was like, holy shit. I just won chopped. Yeah, it yeah, it was nuts. It was a whirlwind for sure. It was a sixteen hour day of filming and competing. And yeah, the next morning I woke up in New York in the Bronx and I'm just like, What the hell? This is great. And you know, I used it to uh, expand the side yard farm. We got a new property this year. I was gonna ask you what you did with the ten grand. Yeah, I used it right did away. Did they take taxes out right off the top or uh, how's yeah. that work? Yeah, they take I mean they send you the whole check, ten grand and then you, you have know, to taxes. Deal with it. Yeah, of course. But uh, yeah, I used it right away. We got a new one-acre property right in between our other two properties. And they're all located within a mile from each other. But this is like our main headquarters. So I got a uh, big old red barn, whole barn. has our kitchen, office. Uh, we built a venue space in the back. And uh, it's been great so far. Thank you, Dad, right? I know, right? Look, he, yeah. just, he inspired he was wa- you to do that. That's he was perfect. watching over for sure. Do you have, a, do you have any um, commemorative... Oh yeah. The thing. Yeah. I uh, I mean in the kitchen there's a huge picture of him and I together at the farm when he was still around and uh, he's always just been a big inspiration. So your parents um one Greek mother <laughs> and uh, your father's from Arkansas? Little Rock, Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas. I yeah. don't have much experience there other than having, you know, learning how my navigation system worked to get around it. Yeah. Um at the time, but so how did they meet? How did how did Oh man. Okay. I'll try to make this story real short, but, uh, my mom, yeah, she was born and raised uh, in Greece in a 
little village, small island called Kefayana. And uh, she came over to the States when she was about 14 years old. A huge earthquake destroy- destroyed her village. She ended up in Chicago. Was pretty much in a arranged marriage uh, with a older man named George Philippopoulos. He really took to my mom and asked my grandparents, could I marry this young lady? So they got married. She was 15. Had her first kid by the time she was 16. This is in Chicago? In the Chicago. arranged marriage was in this country? Chicago, yeah. Wow. And uh, he was 10 years older than her. And she had about five kids uh, before she was 28 years old. And they moved to uh, Redondo Beach, California, where I was born and raised. And he worked for United Airlines, and so did my dad. So my dad was actually his boss at LAX. And one night, uh, it was pouring rain, and uh, my dad rushed George off the phone. Hey, man, get off that phone with your Greek wife. You're always on the phone. Let's go. we got to unload a plane. Flight got here early. Let's go. And uh, (laughs) unfortunately, it turns into a sad story. George was ahead of my dad, and he got ran over by like a food gourmet truck. I know. This That's is kind of a crazy strange. story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, windshield wipers weren't working. Took George out. Food gourmet of all Food. the trucks. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, it wasn't until a couple years later uh, that my mom met my dad because uh, United helped my mom a lot. They put her through English classes and they gave her a job at United um, up above the, you know, the ramp service area in an office. So he went in there one day and was like, who is a beautiful young lady? And... Um, Secretary's like, that's George's wife, man. It's Kathy Philippopoulos. And he's like, there's no way. She's really young and just gorgeous. So he went and introduced himself, and they accidentally kissed on the lips because they did the European kiss on mm-hmm. both cheeks, met in the middle. And it was just love at first sight. And uh, knocked out two more kids, me and my sister Tina. And then there's seven of us, the, the Greek Brady Bunch, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So how many are girls, how many boys? Three girls. Uh, I'm sorry, wait. Wow. There's six above me, so three brothers. I got three brothers, three sisters, so four girls, three boys. That must have been some kitchen table. Oh man, I couldn't tell you. It's it's crazy. So I want to get to the present, but just give you. Do you have a general memory of of a general or specific? Is there one specific time where maybe all hell broke loose, or or it was like all the time? Um, well, were there any super embarrassing moments? I mean, we have those in my family where you can cite them and go, that one was crazy. That was over the top. You know, when my well, uh, uncle I mean, got completely I guess embar- drunk at his, his ex-wife's funeral or his yeah. wife's funeral. That was. Well, it turns out my Greek family doesn't actually drink that much, which, which is kind of nuts. I'm, I guess I'm the only one that enjoys a whiskey here and there. So, so they my get pops. to be crazy without the alcohol. Exactly. They're nuts. But uh, <laughs> no, I have to say not really embarrassing, because to me it's normal, but, you know, coming home after school with friends, and I remember, you know, like middle school, walking home, and, you know, I walk down the driveway, and there's my mom in a tree, like in a bra, sawing off some branches, you know, just like getting work done in the house, no big deal. She'd be like, oh, go upstairs, there's fresh baklava, your friend's staying for dinner, okay, we have lamb. And, I mean, that's just like a Wednesday. Like, it was just very normal every single day she slaved away for us and we have a huge backyard full of like fruit fruit trees and all the greek staples you know like eggplant tomatoes cucumbers um so we always had food from scratch you know down to the bread and everything made from love and my mom you know my dad got to cook sometimes but it was mostly my mother my dad would do the barbecue thing like maybe once every couple months like his barbecue beef ribs how were they? And so is that St. Louis style no, barbecue? What are they? Just like just Little Rock, dude. 
Right, but yeah. I mean, where does it cut? Where is it vinegary? Oh, what, yeah. oh yeah. Um, my dad. Here's his secret to his barbecue sauce, which is uh, totally really easy to make, guys. Go get yourself some masterpiece barbecue sauce. Throw in a bunch of honey, and then a ton. Be of, local, honey. Right. Be local, honey. Of course. Right, of course. Yeah. Damien, we love Damien. Uh, <laughs> he had your money. T-shirt on when he was on the show. That's oh, dude, how, I sport was... his shirt all the time. I love that guy. He's a really good guy. Um, we've collaborated in the past, and he's been a huge supporter of the side yard. All I right, love... so keep going with the yeah. Rest. So anyways, Not... barbecue sauce, a ton of honey, and then a ton of black pepper. Mix it up, and co- it was always in a coffee mug. Mm-hmm. Okay, next to it was Coors Light, and he'd be grilling, and I would just stand there and always dip my finger in the barbecue sauce and take a sip of his beer. You know, five years old. That was my favorite thing. He pretended. Was like he, he happy you were sipping beer? Yeah, he pretended like he didn't see me. Of course, I thought I was getting away with murder. But you know, come on, I'm right there. It's funny how that. Yeah. Well, I think he's probably younger than my father, but in those days, they were they wanted you to try cocktails. Oh yeah. And and I have pictures of me at five years old with Kent cigarettes in my mouth. Oh like my that god. Was, that was something you wanted to. Uh, oh yeah. Encourage. He used to smoke a, a pipe when I was younger, and he used to love the smell of it. Does anybody smoke pipes anymore? My uh, my father had a no. collection. As Isn't well. It? Yeah, nobody in my family. But <laughs> you would think you would see it in Portland, right? With the I whole know. hipster crowd with yeah. a lot of pipes. Little, yeah, a <laughs> pipe out of their mouth. And uh, I don't see it. Yeah. I yeah. guess it's the smoking thing. So you had cooking in your blood, yeah. right? That's kind of what you knew. Yeah. So from what I have gathered, um, a nice farming word. Just use that. <laughs> but I've gathered you, um, you worked at a lot of restaurants until you kind of discovered a garden on top of a building is that correct is that when that is correct yes um i mean i i've always been in kitchens since the age of 15. uh one of my older brothers he's you know way older than me he started a really popular sandwich shop down in san pedro california it's called the sandwich saloon um you know everything from made from scratch using bread from the local baker the sandwich what i didn't saloon saloon yeah uh he's owned it Man, for over 25 years now. And he's there every day, too. He's a workhorse. What's his best like sandwich? Me. What's your favorite sandwich there? Honestly, I'd say either the bacon avocado sandwich or the Philly cheesesteak or or the beef dip, perhaps. Very nice. Know. There's too many, man. And a lot of it's Chicago style because he was born and raised in Chicago. Have you ever been to Michael's over here with the I Chicago have, style? I have, actually. It, it's, you know, not bad. Yeah. It's, you know, it's hard to find a good sandwich in Portland. I'm not going to lie. You think that? Yeah, man. Sorry. Okay. I, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, coming from a Greek family and having my brother own a deli my whole life, you know. So that's I, where I kind of started. I'm not going to go down the list, but I'm just surprised <laughs> that you say that. You know, I have, okay, my buddies at Old Salt, they're pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, the farm is in that neighborhood. So if I could get away or if I'm delivering to them, uh, which I don't even deliver anymore, I have an amazing farm manager now that takes that over. But if I find myself over there, of course, I grab a sandwich from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I uh, know that's kind of where I started. I was 15 and I was there for about four years and kind of learned the ropes of like a fast paced kitchen. And uh, it just, you know, the family, you just have a family right away. Like working with all these guys, you know, most, most of them are from Mexico. I love that. You know, growing up in Los Angeles, there's so much diversity. And that's, you know, what I really miss about living in, you know, Southern California, honestly. Oh, come on. If I had to pick Portland one thing. Portland's a super diverse city. Come on. Are you kidding me? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, Anyways, I just kind of worked my way up the West Coast after that. You know, I finished high school and, you know, I went to junior college for a couple of years and didn't know what I was doing. I just felt always comfortable and like my true authentic self in a kitchen. So I just cooked my way up the West Coast, uh, landed in San Francisco. I worked at Millennium for a little bit, which is a nationally acclaimed vegan restaurant. 
which is now uh, when, how East long Bay. ago was that oh man that was probably i must have been we don't even guess 23 years old i'm 33 okay, 10 years so ago 10 years ago we'll so, that right before so, portland so in san francisco um they were a little ahead of the curve on the vegan bandwagon oh, yeah. then yeah. because and you know for me i just wanted you know i eat meat obviously growing up greek a lot of meat you know i barely eat vegetables i was telling heather like i grow them i don't eat them i <laughs> and uh but uh anyways uh yeah worked my way up the west coast landed in portland about 10 years ago and uh just kept going from restaurant to restaurant my first restaurant family was south park not too far from the studio here mm -hmm. and uh lincoln restaurant uh, the old Noble Rot before they came over to the Rocket Space. I remember yep. the old Noble Rot. Yep. So what was your impression of the dining scene in 2005? That's when I moved here. So yeah. I didn't even know about it, honestly. Yeah. You know, I was drawn to Portland and Oregon and wanted to move here. But yeah. ironically, the food scene was not what drew me here. It yeah. was the beauty and the, basically you know, the, the climate and all the beautiful things that weren't food. Yeah, and the people. I mean, for me, yeah, it was the I didn't people. Know any Coming people. from LA, I'm just like when people. I remember my first like month here. People are saying hi to me and good morning. But coming from LA, that's not supposed to happen. So when I was examining moving here, I'd yeah. I remember sitting at Jake's actually, <laughs> and uh, that's where I was told to go, and s s telling people I was thinking of moving here, and they yeah. would say, "No, you don't want to move here. The weather sucks." Blah blah blah. It rains too much. And yeah. then I'd say, "They'd say, where are you from?" And I say, "Connecticut." Oh, oh, okay, you're not from California. You'll love it here. I know. And so um, I think coming from California, I would assume you didn't get that welcome. Yeah. Uh, well, no. Honestly, I, Maybe the I was food really world. welcome. Maybe in the Ma food world. The food world, world yeah. Yes. It, yeah, it was great. And that's why I moved up here. I heard about the great restaurants up here, uh, about all the farmland. But there weren't that many in 2005. There, was there just, were a good amount. I mean, you have your staples, you know? Right. And but, but not compared to today. Oh, We're, Jesus. I think we have too many restaurants right now, honestly. Portland's just getting saturated. The food car scene. The, uh, they, I, we're really lucky, though, I have to say, to live in a city where almost anybody could start a small business, especially in the food scene. Um, I applaud Portland for that. You know, it's been really easy for me to start my business up here and to have the support that I do, just like many others. So, and I mean, really easy or are you just saying compared well, you gotta to other places? you got to work your ass off, man. I work exactly. 80 hours yeah, a week, sure, really so easy. does any other chef. But, you know, I have to say it's just a little bit easier. It was more affordable back then. Mm -hmm. I mean, rents. Yeah, I remember paying 500 bucks for a studio on the west side, all utilities included. You can't find that anymore. Yeah, no, even in the last few years. No since, way. Um, so it's changed a little bit. But yeah. I, I don't think, you know, 2005, it was kind of cool, but it wasn't the Disneyland it is now. No and, way. And no part, way. Of the, part of the problem is, and we're all guilty of it, I mean, these new great places with great chefs and cooks are yeah. opening up, and you want to try them, but yes. then you can only go so many places. So all the great... Spots that were around in 2005. I mean, you know, Park Kitchen, I haven't been to oh, yeah. in too long. Yeah. And I keep saying that over and over, but yeah. then I'll say that about eight, 15 other places and it's brain freeze. So yeah. it's hard to do. No. Yeah. I think now it's too hard to eat here. Hey, you want to go out to eat? Where do you want to go? And then there's a thousand billion places. You and... But you have to bounce it off of somebody else <sighs> because if it's your own decision, oh, it's impossible. It. Forget it. Yeah. I love to support the restaurants that I sell produce to. So I mean, what, what are some of those? Uh, we have Cocottes, Grain and Gristle, Renata, 23rd Hoyt, Blue Hour, uh, Veritable Quandary, which is, I hold dear to my heart. I love... What's going on with Veritable Quandary now? What? They're they're hanging in there, man. There's going to be a new courthouse 
Go yeah, right that, next door. Yeah, that, well, that I know. That's why I asked. Yeah, but. and they were trying to fight it. You know, I was even going to the city meetings as well. It's just, it's going to happen. At and, some point. But, you know, the owner does own the building, so that's good news. Um, I think what might be at risk is their patio, and that's why this has been, you know, such a big Which deal. Which is one of the really nice. It's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, they could have seen a lot of people out there, so... I guess we'll just see what happens. But uh, I love... The inevitable progress that everybody fights. Yes. So. yes. But, I, but not for a courthouse. You know, it would be something if it was, you know, the James Beard market and you had to move because of that. <laughs> yeah. But the, for a courthouse. Yeah. So. Yeah. But no, I love uh, Chef Annie. She's been a huge supporter of the farm. I, I call her my sister. She's just been wonderful. Um, what's, her, what's her name? What's Annie Cogio. Okay. She's been there for about 20 years. You know, here's the thing chef. about Veritable Quandary. I don't think, you know, we pay attention to chefs in Portland. Yeah. I don't see her out there at events. Uh, I haven't met her. I in wouldn't fact, know her name. she's in that kitchen. That lady works, I mean, countless she hours. Need, but she's got to do a little something, I think, my opinion. Yeah. To get out there and make it a chef-driven, a little bit of a chef-driven place. Because no one thinks of it. And I shouldn't I say no one. I well, don't. Well, I mean, they're packed every night all the time. Yeah, so maybe they don't need know, to. They, they really don't need to. And she's and they not got the a type lot of hotels be, there. Yeah, all the hotels. And she's not the type to be in the spotlight. You know, there are times where we've done, you know, there's been like a production company with Side Yard that I've, you know, I was like, interview this lady. She's amazing. She's an amazing chef. Um, so. Heather? Well, we just veritable <laughs> quandary. Annie at ver- veritable quandary someday. I'm telling you. You've got to talk to her. Her food's amazing and she's just wonderful. So. And so are there any. Um, Restaurants that you, I assume you're not really in. You don't appear to me you're not as a sales mode, but are there any restaurants you would really, that would be a privilege, you would feel it would be a privilege to do business with that you're not right now? Um, I mean, yeah, there's a ton. I, I hate to say it because I, I get emails all the time. Hey, can we get on your list? Can we get on your list? And I have to say, no, we're at capacity because we're just, oh, so we're it's farming really your urban choice. lots. Yes. Yeah. So right now we're just like held at 15 restaurants and I'm okay with that. You know, we grew, we got this new property and I don't see myself going beyond that property for farmland. I like where I'm at. Um, in other ways, I like to, you know, if I can't supply, you know, produce to them, then I'm like, hey, let's do a collaboration. You want to get together and we'll do a pop-up at my farm or at your restaurant. So in other ways, I still try to incorporate other chefs if I can't provide them with produce. Um, do you have indoor space at, at the farm to do something? We do have a, over you the- know, a big red barn. I think this winter uh, we're getting a, a wood-burning stove in there, and we're going to try to do, uh, like, a big red barn series or winter series, like supper series. And... We could do about 10 to 12 people at our large, you know, dining table. So that would be the next step. Everything's just so new with this this property. Mm-hmm. So we're playing around with it. But the other thing is, come on, Portland's not that cold. Get a little fire pit, sit under our venue space. Oh, I agree. And wear, it's the vibe wear a jacket. in the farm. Yeah, wear a jacket. Big deal. Just, you know, suck it up. Well, I think so, too. And, you know, we have, I've been to, I love the plate and pitchfork dinners. They're fantastic. And yeah. part of what I love about it is that you get yourself onto a farm yes. and you experience, to me, it's just sucking in Oregon. Yes. You know, it's it's not just going to a restaurant and eating the produce that was made here. It's being right there yeah. and seeing it and really feeling that. So I think, you know, in the winter, we should feel feel that yeah. and, and that's fine. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, I need to get out to the farm. I should have before we t- spoke. So I, I could, know, man. We, but we'll do, a little, uh, we'll do a little something afterwards. Sounds good. Um, so... What have been some of the, you said it's easy. I don't believe that. What have been some of the biggest hurdles and challenges for you when you, since you? Oh, um, 
Well, finding land was pretty easy. I feel blessed. You know, these landlords I have in my life. I So I was working up on the rooftop and in the kitchen at Rocket. And when, when Rocket went under, I decided to start looking for my own piece of land. Um, the master gardener up there, Mark Boucher Colbert, he's still up there. He's my mentor, really good friend. He pointed me in the direction of the Northeast Coley neighborhood. So I got to check this neighborhood out. Tiny houses, huge plots of land. Just just knock door to door and see what you get. So and we're across streets near there, so I know you got a better idea. So we're like uh, Northeast Simpson and 48th is our newest property. Then down the street uh, between Simpson and Ainsworth on 45th is our original property. Okay. And then our other one where I live at is a third of an acre, and that's on 67th and Wagon. So they're all within a mile. Um but uh, I got lucky, and Mark went to church with a couple folks that just bought a piece of land that they were subdividing, and that's how the first uh, side yard got started. It was a quarter acre. Uh, they didn't charge me much rent. They still don't, you know. And I had to have a separate water meter, and that's kind of how that worked. And over time, the cider just kept getting more popular. We started doing our pop-ups there. I was still working at restaurants. At the time, I was working at Lincoln. Uh, then I started working for Jen Lewis's catering company, Culinary Artistry, just, you know, part-time while I was trying to get things going at the farm and building, you know, clientele and um, trying to still be creative and do, like, you know, little underground pop-ups. Did you get to just, sleep? Uh, <laughs> a little bit. I don't need much sleep, man. I'm good with five hours. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I wake up with the sun. I'm all good. But uh, why do I look tired? No, not at all. You look you look very vibrant. Thank and, you. Uh, great complexion. Thank you. So you wouldn't know. It's the Greek olive skin. Yeah, yeah, I have some I have some Greek in me, but I think I have bags <laughs> under my eyes. It didn't work for me. But um. so yeah, the challenges. I mean, again, it wasn't with finding land, and that's the most challenging part of urban farming is trying to find a piece of land where it's affordable. Uh, my new landlords, they're amazing. I just give them produce, invite them to every side yard event, and they're happy. Period. That's nice. Yeah. So did you know a lot about, f- how much did you know? Or how much has been part of the learning curve? Because you Starting out, um, my only experience was up on the rooftop for a couple of years with Mark. And I would pick And Mark's he's still brain. doing that for Noble, for, he is, for, for leather. Noble yeah, right. for leather. Uh, Mark's amazing. He helped me start that new property. We're building beds. Um, we have 50-foot beds by three feet, cedar planks and rebar. To hold them in place and that's kind of the model at every single property um, but he's helped me you know hook up irrigation um just anytime i would see like what is this bug is this you know right in the beginning like i didn't know like a flea beetle or whatever that might be he was just always right by my side and guided me uh but all i what, knew was what just, bug pisses you off the most <laughs> i would say the flea beetle because they're so aggressive and you know they put tiny pinholes in beautiful arugula or mustard greens like overnight are they hard to get I mean? rid of they are um best solution is seeding up you know, once you seed up your bed, put a little bit of row cover over it or remay and just keep it keep it on there until you're ready to harvest. It's the only way to keep them out. But they come with the heat. So this summer was pretty bad for us. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, and but, you know they're coming. So yeah, take yeah. a cake. Um, but no, yeah, I just I, I learned a lot about intensive farming up on the rooftop. Because when you you have one small space, you have to think about fast turnover crops. And honestly, how to get creative with your crops. So that's kind of, you know, over the past seven seasons is what, you know, side yard has evolved into doing a lot of specialty herbs and niche things. Like we do the micro radish, which basically we get three, you know, three items out of one crop. So we'll seed up a bed and then, you know, we thin out the micro radishes. You have to thin them out anyway. So don't compost those. That's beautiful garnish. Clean them up, put them in a clamshell. There we go. Uh, Second round of thinning. They're a little bit bigger. We call them teenagers, teenage radish. 
third round, you got your full blown radish. So we do that with the carrots as well, beets, any root vegetable. So, you know, chefs love it because it's a beautiful, tiny little thing they could put on the plate. Uh, the teenage carrots are cute as hell. You know, we put them in tiny bunches. And I might have had those last night at Renata. Would those have been your carrots? Those aren't mine, no. Oh, okay. How tiny were these? They were tiny. They were pretty, they're different sizes. But, yeah, well, yeah, go get them. I'm going to call Matt. <laughs> All right. Um, um, so, do, I would imagine here. Yeah. You'll show some, uh, something new to you, to a chef, and they'll know exactly what they want to do with it? Or are you helping them Sometimes. develop ideas and here, yeah. this is what you should do with this? Sometimes they ask me to grow things for them, and sometimes I'm like, yo, try this herb. It's papalo or it's rao ram. And they're like, whoa, what the heck is that? Or shiso or lovage. Um, would it not make a great reality show to follow you around and have <laughs> you talk to chefs? So I think that would be pretty cool. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, but I feel lucky because a lot of these guys, especially Chris Carricker. I was just going to bring him up. I yeah. went to a, a chef in my garden yeah. dinner with him. Yeah. He, that guy is so talented I know. and so creative. And you have, it's when you're sitting there enjoying it, it's when you remember the last time you had something yep. that he made that was so great. Yeah. He's great. He's- and. He's one of my favorite chefs to and he's a nice guy hang too. out with, have drinks with. He's been a supporter of the farm. He comes to our brunches sometimes. Uh, he's wonderful. But and you're going to Japan with him. Yeah, too. man. I'm bringing a crew this time. It'll be our third time going How many back. people are you bringing? Well, it looks like a bro fest. I invited all these guys all of a sudden. It's like three Chris's and a Josh and a Corey. You want a fourth? <laughs> Let's go. I'd love to go. I've never yeah. been. I, uh, la- you know, the last couple of times I went, last time I went with Commons Brewery, uh, Josh, my buddy Josh Vargas, and the time before I went by myself, we just do these intimate farm-to-table suppers, about 30 people. I get to meet the farmers. Um, you know, one was in Kyoto, Kamakura, Shiga. Uh, so this time we're doing Tokyo. And the people that approached me about doing this event, the Tokyo Farmer's Market, I mean, Tokyo Farmer's Market is huge. 10,000 people in two days go through this market. Wow. So I was like, I think I want to bring a crew. And these guys have, like, over the years have asked me, like, hey, man, take me to... Tokyo, how could I get in on that? So I started thinking about like the dream team, like beverage and food. And these were the people that came to mind. Uh, so Chris Starkis from Urban Farmer, we got, you know, to get to know each other after the chopped uh, mm-hmm. uh, competition. Oh, that's right. So he's my buddy. Uh, and Chris Carricker, who I've known for a few years now, just providing produce to him and getting to know him. He's excited about going. I've oh my God, he's pumped. Yeah. yeah. Um, Josh is coming back with me, Josh Vargas from Commons Brewery, my buddy Corey Schuster, who does Jackalope Wine Cellars, small batch winemaker, and uh, Chris Brady of Extracto Coffee. So, oh, that's... Nice little crew. Their coffee's pretty heavy duty. Yes. I'm usually, when I drink that stuff, I can write, I, I, or I can't write, it's too much. Yeah. But that's, that is a dream team. So you're, what's the objective? Is it experience? Because I asked Chris and he said, well... It's the experience, and they're paying my way. I get I get expenses paid, but it's not something that's really going to promote back here and do much for you other than talking about it here and yeah. you're expanding your horizons. But yeah. so it's, it's about the experience, and uh, we're sponsored by Travel Portland and Columbia Sportswear, and then a ton of local sponsorships. You know, like New Deal Distillery, Dogwood Distillery, Aardvark Hot Sauce. I mean, Be Local, the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. So um, it really is about the experience. And, you know, all these guys have never been to Tokyo. So um, 
I get a lot of, for the last three years now, just tour groups coming by from Japan wanting to see the farm and learn more about urban farming. Because Japan is such a small island. And I get a lot of people coming from you know smaller cities, not Tokyo or Kyoto, smaller cities that are trying to figure out like you, you've made urban farming like a cool thing. And all of our young people are leaving our towns and going to Tokyo and the bigger cities, Kyoto. Um, we want to know how to keep them here because, you know, Portland has done such a great job of, you know, it's, I hate to say it in Portlandia quote, but like we're young people go to retire, but Japanese people will come to the farm and say that quote. And they, they really want to know how we do that. But it's also, um, that's an interesting subject because it really has to do with your mindset. So yeah. you're not in this to, I'm sure you want to make money. We all want yeah. to make money. But so you're doing things like that for the experience. experience and I think uh, you have community. so many here, right, Yeah, doing what they do because it's from the heart yeah. and they'll figure out how to make some money and survive Yeah, and uh, and have community experience. Yeah. No, so, it's all about community. Um, but um, but so but does that translate to Japan? You can't necessarily teach that. That has to be what's inherent in you. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, my role going over for, especially for this event at the Tokyo Farmers Market, both days is just giving these you know farm to table lectures on urban farming and small scale farming and how to draw community in. They want to know how to do that. I mean, I get volunteers from all over the world, like no joke, all over the world um, every week coming to help us out. Tuesday and Fridays uh, with Harvest. Um, there's a huge following. People want to learn more about urban farming. Um, so I just feel lucky that I could provide that education to a lot of people and provide a safe space for people to come where they feel like family and they could come back over and over. We give them free produce. We buy them lunch sometimes. Um, you know, we also offer like a grief group for anybody who's lost somebody. Uh, you know, it's a much nicer setting to be out on a farm rather than like a hospital room. That's you know slightly. I mean? Yeah, a little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit. And just to be around good people and have food and wine. So know? how does the grief, how does that grief group work? Or So we do it about three to four times a year. And it's a small group of people. Sometimes we get the same people coming or you know new people coming through. Um, but I was going to a grief group after I lost my dad, and it just didn't feel right. felt too much like in a hospital space and it, that could be traumatizing for a lot of people and I was like wait a minute I have a farm <laughs> why don't I invite people out you know and all we have to do is talk so that's kind of how it started and we would like have a fire pit set up roast some marshmallows you know the first one was in the winter and just talk and cry or maybe do an art project bring photos and uh, it really seemed to help people and it helped me as well because I just work 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 and I bury myself in work and I don't think about you know, like the grieving process I put on hold for a while. But when I have these groups, it opens me back up. And I'm like, wait, we're in the same club. Even though this really sucks, we could relate to each other. Uh, and I think being open in an open atmosphere, Yeah, I think just mental health. Yes. Getting out in nature is probably the, the a base. Yeah. To get out from uh, four walls. Yeah. And, uh, and just get into some open space. So yeah. you get that. You have that a lot. I mean, that's your workspace. Yeah. I outside. mean, I basically, I feel like I live there. It's crazy because everything happens there, you know. But uh, the grief groups have been great. And we've kind of turned into uh, kind of, we call it the lost supper. So we, we bring food into it. It's a potluck now. Everybody brings a dish and we share. And then we share our stories and memories. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, and how do people find out about that? Or you are pretty much, you have 
more grief struck people than you need. <laughs> it's on the website. And I also think it's word of mouth because I'll just get a lot of emails like my friend of a friend of a friend told me they came to your grief group or I saw it on Facebook. And how could I get on a list to know about this? So they'll just email me. Then, you know, whenever I feel like it's time to do another one, I'll email all of them and see if they're around. And what's the, so where do people where do, So yeah, just go to the website, the sideyardpdx.com. And under events, you just scroll down and there's just a little description about the grief group and then contact us, click on that and email me. And so I'll do people graduate? Like, okay, I think I'm good now. <laughs> there I, are some people that, you know, just don't come back, but I think they're okay. You know, they make that judgment in themselves. It's scary to go talk about your feelings, you yeah. know, but we do have some consistent people that stick around and we've just become friends now. So that's kind of nice too. So there's no 12 step thing going on it's, no no and like you know i'm not a licensed you know therapist or anything like that well you are you're growing vegetables you're a licensed ther- i view that as licensed therapy so you said you weren't eating a lot of vegetables i find that uh so i'll choose beets because they're not my favorite sure and when someone does a preparation with beets that i actually like yeah that to me is one of the best food experiences i can have yeah. because it came out of left field yeah and changes your mind about things have you had any chefs who've prepared something you've grown that has changed your mind about what you're growing? You know, I would say back to Chris Carricker. Uh, he had me grow these things called rat tail radish pods. Now. Something we've all heard of. Heard of. Yeah, right. And I'm yeah. like, rat tail. Huh? I don't know about this, buddy. I'm like, if I grow it, you better freaking buy it off me. I swear to God, if I'm stuck with these things. And they produce so much. Um, so they don't actually form like the radish bulb in ground. It just grows really bushy. And it's as if like a radish plant bolted and you have these pods. Um, and they're a little spicy and they taste a little bit like daikon radish. And they're kind of beady almost. So it's like a beady green bean that's like a light green color and like hollow inside. If you could picture that. Mm-hmm. So anyways, he loves them. And then I got hooked. And I started pickling the crap out of them, you know, using them for supper, charring them, serving them raw. And people would be like obsessed with these things. What is this thing that I'm eating right now? That's like all beady. It looks like a green bean, but it's not. Um, so he really opened my eyes to that and to ground cherries. And I already knew what ground cherries were. I've never heard of a ground oh, yeah. cherry. We tried growing them a few years ago. I just, you know, to use them for, you know, some jams. But he's like, I, I want a lot of these things. And... My buddy Greg at Grain and Gristle loves them as well, too. And Matt at Renata. They are like, they love these things. And they kind of take, so they come in these little wrappers. Almost looks like a baby tomatillo. And you open it up. You don't know what you're going to get. You take a bite. And it kind of tastes like a Flintstone vitamin, but sweeter. I know that sounds weird. It's just minerally. But it's really sweet. And then when you actually cook the ground cherries, if you're making a jam, the whole kitchen will smell like blueberry lemon muffins. No joke. You have nothing in there but a little bit of sugar. And it's reducing down. So you have... 50 people come in and say, what does this smell like? 50 are going to say, this smells like blueberry lemon muffin. It really does. I ask, you know, <laughs> like the farm manager, get in here, get in here, smell this. What do you, what does it smell like to you? Like, are you baking muffins? It really does smell like blueberry and lemon. It's crazy. Um, but t- when you taste it raw, nothing like And it. what season are those? Are you Summer. Summer. So we, yeah, we plant them the same time as tomatoes. And we still have them going right now for at least like probably two more weeks, depending on weather. Yeah. All right. So you got a pretty good feel for the... Portland food world. What do, you, so. what do you send your friends when they come into town? Oh, man. Um, when they come into town, I like to send them to like Ned Ludd, Cocats, uh, Renata. I ate there when they the first week they opened, and I was floored. I met Matt a long time ago in San Francisco, 
and uh, when he was at Flower and Water, and he just sent out course after course of pasta. And when I heard he was moving up here, my good friend Sarah, she's a butcher there, she moved back from New York, and she works there now, and uh, I got to meet him again, and I was just floored by their pasta. Everything just made with love there. Everything we, we had a gnocchi last night with eggplant and little spicy meatballs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's really good. Good stuff. So uh, so that's the new place I've been sending them. But, you know, for me, honestly, I, I mostly eat at, like, I'm a happy hour girl. Mm-hmm. You know, I like pubs and anything that's convenient. But my, my new favorite place is Swift and Union. It's in the Kenton neighborhood. I've just started to hear about that. I haven't been there. Spot on. Good stuff. Uh, I love their other place, Tabor Tavern, you know, and uh, I love a good barbecue place. I'm always at Podna's as well. It's like a little heavy pour of whiskey neat. <laughs> um, he, do they have a good happy hour at Podna's? I um, didn't know they had one. I don't think actually that they do, but I just end up there because I need to get some brisket. So, need. and a whiskey. Need is the <laughs> primary word. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and that's all I really need to be happy. So, I just saw. I'm not like fancy fans. He just uh, had a Facebook post or Instagram. Rodney went down to Texas, and he sources his wood down there and brings it up by the truckload. Wow. And uh, that's pretty, you know, not that we don't have much wood here. (laughs) We got none over here. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, truckload of of wood, so that's impressive. Um, Uh, I'm also a fan of, uh, I have to say, uh, Barlow Tavern, like in North Portland, mm -hmm. Greeley and Ainsworth, little hole-in-the-wall place. I've never heard of it. Oh, man. They give heavy pours of whiskey. But really good fried chicken. That's what they're known for. Their chicken and waffles are off the hook. All right. We're going to do it. We have to do a uh, fried chicken soundbite podcast soon. We, there you go. We haven't done that one yet, and it's time. Yeah. It's So that one's good. And I also heard you mention Tabor Tavern. I've yes. never been there. They're supposed to have great fried yes, chicken, too. Yes, they do. Yeah, good people. Have you been? Well, you're over in that neighborhood. Have you been to the May pop-up no. at Old Salt? I haven't. Oh, fried chicken? Do that. Really? Yeah. Oh, that, man. I'm out that of was, loop. And I lo- a lot of people say that. I love fried chicken. Many people do. Yeah. It was, there were around the room people just in awe of, oh, man. of, um, of Maya's fried chicken. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of fried chicken. It's hard to get into. Yeah. But she often, if you're friendly with her, she'll, she will send out little emails. Or if you follow her on Facebook, yeah, yeah. we had cancellations. So perfect. That opportunity exists. Awesome. Anywhere else you, that comes to mind that, that Can we I send must people mention? to? Uh, well, obviously, Veritable Quandary. Like I said, they're a staple in Portland and been around forever. And it's always, I always have a solid meal there when I go there. I go home, I, I can barely walk, I could barely leave the restaurant. It's too good. I get everything, even down to Annie's desserts. They're phenomenal. Haven't been in too long. And I also want to mention you certainly highlighted Chris Carricker. He's now at Blue Hour. He's now he at Blue 23 Hour. Hoyt. I haven't, I am, he keeps saying, come on in, I'll feed you. I, I know I'm going to cash that in soon for sure, but 23rd and Hoyt, I went to visit him a few times. Uh, and, of course, he just sends out way too much food, but beautiful, beautiful food. And he loves to highlight my produce, so he'll make sure every single dish he sends out has something of mine on there. So he's at Blue Hour now, yeah. and I've wanted to do an event there, and now's the time. Yes. Not that it wasn't before, but I love Chris. We did yeah. something with him a few years ago. That's and great. Just 21 courses. With <laughs> no hi- big deal. Him and Rick Giancarelli, uh, with he and Rick Giancarelli, they uh, pretty amazing. So yeah. now's the time. But the Blue Hour menu, the reason I mention this is yeah. if you think you've been to Blue Hour because everybody's been there, you haven't now haven't. because Chris is, Chris is there. So yeah. it's time to check that out. New sheriff in town. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, every 
often, but this is one of those podcasts where I feel like we could go on and on sure. for two hours, and um, that's a good thing because we didn't go lots of places that I think we could have gone. Yeah. And, um, you're really fun to talk to, and you're not at a loss for words. Thanks, man. Which is great. So um, people come visit you. Um, you already mentioned the website. Do you have like Instagram or anything you want? Yeah, we're on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, what is it? Know. What are the? What is it at? Instagram so, is like I think it's like the Side Yard Farm, and then Twitter is Side Yard PDX, I believe. I should really not. And are you at farmers markets too? We don't do farmers market. We just do restaurant sales, and we supply our own catering company and supper club with our stuff as well. We've actually kind of maxed out to, which is a good thing. I think we are able to support our neighborhood. We have other urban farms in our neighborhood now uh, that we get produce from that we don't grow for ourselves. We get chicken eggs. We get the flowers from flower farm down the street, a flower CSA. We get goat milk to make goat cheese. So we kind of stay within two mile radius. So we kind of call ourselves hyper local. We're a little crazy with the local um, for so most of our meals. I can't get anything. I can't source anything from you unless I exactly. come and you just like, have to come try to be the nicest guy I can possibly be. That or you I'll bring just donuts. Come, Does that, do those to, help? If you bring some donuts, I might hook you up. With some okay. Stuff. Yeah. Cool. No, we always have extra stuff. When people come to visit, you know, I can't help. I actually have it. I always bring gifts. I actually have a tote bag for you oh. as well. I didn't know for sure if you were going to be there. Heather, I would have grabbed you one too. You, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Heather appreciates it. I'm going to be leaving the country in a few days, so probably she'll be able to enjoy it. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I'll ta- but, no, but, I, but I'll take a rain check on it, and I'll come visit you. How's done. that? That sounds great. Yeah. we uh, Like I said, we do a lot of suppers. We like to collaborate with other chefs and artisans in Portland. It's very important to us and involving our neighborhood as much as we can. So uh, doors always open. We always have fun events at the farm during the summer. We do, I bike do that. And movie nights. Yeah, we just make things fun, and we just want people to come in and try to make it as affordable as possible as well. There's people that maybe want to come to like a six course supper that maybe they can't afford it. So I'm like, why don't you volunteer a little bit, and then we'll call it good. Wow. So we make it work. You good know. for you. Yeah, well, man. thanks. Um, awesome to meet you. Yeah, you I know too. we're going to run into each other now, of course, on purpose and hopefully not on purpose as yeah. well. But now I know you're not at the markets so that's one of the reasons but uh come to the farm we'll see you soon thank you thank you right at the fork is recorded in the beautiful studios at alpha media and expertly sound engineered by court johnson and produced by me heather jones if you want to find us we are on itunes and stitcher and soundcloud We love ratings and reviews, so thank you to those who have done that, and please, we hope you'll continue to do so. You can find us at portlandfoodanddrink.com and portlandfoodadventures.com, and of course, right at thefork.com, discoverportland.net, and now at foodcartsportland.com. Lots of great places to find us. We're also on Twitter, Food Podcast PDX, and of course, Facebook as well. Also on our website, we now have a donate button. So if you enjoy the podcast and want to see it continue, please donate and thank you so much.